That's classified. It's what? It's classified. It had been deemed classified. And B, that footage is highly classified. Classified. It's classified. You can't tell right. anybody, but... People need to know. Welcome to CIO Classified, where you'll find candid conversations with the world's leading CIOs. In each episode, we have two different CIOs discuss a single topic. This week, we were joined by Wendy Pfeiffer and Tony Saldana. Wendy is the CIO of Nutanix. Some of her recent accolades include being named one of Silicon Republic's tech titans, Orby Bay Area Enterprise CIO of the Year, and Enterprise Management 360's list of top 10 tech CIOs. Tony is the president of Transformant. He's a globally recognized expert and thought leader in global business services and digital technology. He ran Procter & Gamble's GBS and IT operations and was named one of Computer World's premier 100 IT professionals. Tony is also the author of Why Digital Transformations Fail. On this episode, Wendy and Tony talk about the future of work and dive deep into the key ingredients that can make or break a remote work situation. But before we get started, let's hear a word from our sponsors. This episode of CIO Classified is brought to you by Okta. Okta is a complete access management platform for your workforce and customers, securing all your critical resources from cloud to ground. Okta ensures your employees and customers have access to the right tools at the right time from any location and any device. Learn more about the leader in identity-driven security at okta.com. That's O-K-T-A dot com. And now, here are your hosts, Cassidy Williams and Ian Faison. Welcome to CIO Classified. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today, I am joined by my amazing co-host, Cassidy. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm excited. We have two amazing guests, and I'm so excited to get into all the confidential discussions we're going to have today. Our first guest, Wendy, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you two? You know, it's a uh, it's an amazing day to talk technology. We're killing it. <laughs> Tony, how are you? Very well. It's, it's uh, great to be on the show, Ian and Cassidy. So let's start off, Wendy. Can you tell us a little bit about your role as CIO? Sure. As CIO at Nutanix, I like to say that I have sort of a dual-headed role. First of all, I'm the CIO of a publicly traded more than billion dollar company. And so I have all the typical responsibilities that one might have, just making sure that the company's technology enables our employees and enables our business to work and to thrive. But then secondly, we make a product that is purchased and consumed by IT folks and CIO folks like myself. So I'm also, in a way, the company's first customer, and I have quite an outward-facing view as well, whether that's giving input to our product teams or partnering as an executive sponsor with a number of my colleagues who are prospects and customers in the technology vertical and, and you know, U.S. government and, and other entities like that. And Tony, what about you? Well, I have a very long and interesting background. I was vice president at Procter & Gamble for about 27 years. I've been about 30, 35 years in the IT and global business services industry. At um, P&G, I had the privilege of essentially running IT and global business services in every region of the world. And uh, GBS and IT is a pretty big organization at P&G. It's about two, two and a half billion dollars in annual spend. Um, And um, uh, I left P&G about two years ago to create Transformant, which is an advisory firm 
that works with mostly about 20 of the Fortune 100 companies on digital strategy and global businesses services strategy. And somewhere in there, I threw in a book, Why Digital Transformations Fail, which amazingly enough seems to have developed a uh, life of its own and keeps me very, very busy these days. But most of all, I, um, I just love learning and keeping track of how digital transformation is being accelerated in crazy ways these days. So I'm really, really delighted to be on CIO Confidential. I'm amazed that both of you had the time to be on the show because those sound like very busy jobs. Well, you know, we're trapped in our homes, actually. No, just kidding. (laughs) That is absolutely true in my case. (laughs) Mm, Very good point. Along those lines, though, how, how does your company view remote work, especially in these weird times where everybody's remote? Well, let me, I'll start. First of all, before the, the global pandemic, about 30% of our employees were already working remotely as a global company. And I'm sure this is true for most of us. You know, we do have offices around the world, but there are folks who are in every every country, every region. So we already had patterns of working and tools for working remotely. But very quickly in March, we pivoted to having 100% of our employees working remotely. And I will tell you that it was more of a psychological transition than a physical one for all of us. Physically, we were technically ready. We were technically able, although we've you know, certainly innovated and made some progress since those early days uh, in, in terms of our remote work. But I think the harder challenge was just knowing that we couldn't get together in person and have that personal interaction. And in a way, all of us got to experience what it's like to work remote from the hubs uh, of our business. And we all realized how much we can improve our collaboration with our remote colleagues and just sort of change the patterns and practices of how we work rather than necessarily the tools and technologies that we use. And that sounds very, very uh, familiar to me. In, in my case, Transformant is a consulting company with a few people that are all generally remote anyway. So this wasn't a change. It was a change for the work that we do in consulting because pretty much the face-to-face consulting has, has all kind of gone away replaced by remote work. But among the the clients that I work with, I fully agree with Wendy's point. The biggest change that has happened is psychological among leaders who have certainly gotten very, very comfortable that they can essentially get exactly the same results, if not more, by focusing on outcomes rather than, you know, watching old people's shoulders. And this change is irreversible. It's here to stay. I mean, you know, of course, people are going to eventually, one of these days, although it doesn't sound like it soon enough, we'll get back to the office. But I think that mental shift is absolutely here to stay. Yeah, I always tell people that remote work is very different from pandemic or remote work. And that mental shift is very real because you don't necessarily know when it'll end and you can do it. And and a lot of companies are adapting, but you don't necessarily know when you'll see each other again, or if that's going to be part of the strategy when everything is all over and done with. You know, speaking of strategy, our strategy has had to had to change a bit since the beginning and i i'll use a sports analogy because uh 
because why not? I love sports analogies and I miss sports. So when we first pivoted to have everyone working from home, we all sort of said it was a sprint, right? It was an emergency and we all uh, ran hard out as fast as we could. And then it started to linger and weeks turned into months. And so then everyone was saying, oh, it's a marathon. You know, there are some folks who have sprinter muscles and some folks who have marathon muscles. And, and so we were all adapting in our own ways. But now it is something all over again. For me, it's a lot more like a triathlon or a decathlon. There are multiple sports happening at the same time. And as IT athletes, we are having to do everything. We're having to support folks in various regions returning to offices. We're having to support folks who are choosing to, as Tony said, work remotely forever. Um, And we have folks in between who may uh, sometimes be available to come into offices and other times have childcare responsibilities, etc. And so there's now a little bit of everything that we're needing to support. And we're doing that consciously now. I think that's the difference is I've recently learned that we need a new strategy that supports this hybrid and complex and multi-mode work model going forward for the foreseeable long-term future. So it's not just remote. It's a little bit of everything and the complexity and the context switching that comes with, with all of that. Yeah, you talk about that shift. I see it as the uh, every company was a remote company before this. They just didn't necessarily practice like that, right? It's like you'd have the board meeting or whatever it is with 17 people without their laptops open and then the two people that were Zooming into the meeting. And now you kind of have everybody with their laptops open and every single person is understanding that like if one person is remote, that means we all need to act like we're remote. Otherwise, that person is sitting out in the middle of nowhere. You know, Tony, as you're talking to the folks that you work with and and different CIOs, how are they building more collaborative workspaces? How are they actually trying to get more work done and leverage things like not having to jump on a plane all the time and do that and really make those workspaces better off leveraging technology? Many companies, many of the clients I've worked with have already started to plan for reduced facility space, right? Most companies that I work with have already kind of started to plan for a anywhere from 20% to close to 40% reduction in space, right? And that makes a ton of sense because I think previously the assumption for getting work done was that at some point in time, everybody needs to be physically in the office. Now, what CIOs are doing is basically following modes of operation. So most people, and I'm not talking about the extreme individual contributor or the person that essentially is a in-person designer or something like that, that really has to be face-to-face with you. But most people that don't fall into those extremes essentially have three different modes are working during a day or a week or a month. One is, you know, they have to do some collaborative work. So, you know, perhaps some brainstorming, perhaps some relationship building. They have obviously some work that they do with teams that doesn't necessarily have to be face-to-face. And then they have individual quiet time type of work, you know, email, writing memos, you know, drawing stuff, right? And most CIOs really never thought about essentially designing different capabilities and solutions. Of course, yes, everybody was always about Teams and Google Drive and and other collaborative tools. But we never kind of thought about this holistically in terms of everything from collaboration tools to bandwidth to security 
to office space to even the way you access corporate systems like SAP and stuff like that has got to be broken up into these different buckets, right? And I think that's the big change. People are looking at ways in which, you know, not just collaboration tools, but the entire workday has got to be redesigned into these three different buckets. And also those three different buckets aren't necessarily all within the typical nine to five anymore either. I can't tell you so many people I know, they're parents or or they have other commitments and stuff throughout the day where they have to say, okay, I'm dedicating work to the morning, then the afternoon, I need to take care of my kids. And then I'm working in the evening. And the structure is very different when it comes to remote work too. And you have to be ready for a lot of async types of tasks and communication and writing everything down. It is. And I think what's happening is that we're learning our way into this different modes of working, right? And like everything else, you know, I'm sure I make a ton of mistakes. I mean, uh, initially, I, I wasn't as disciplined about being completely there for my family, at least, you know, some hours in a day versus not, you know, constantly checking my phone, all that kind of stuff. But I think we're all learning. I think the other thing we're learning is that we're all holistic human beings. So, Yes, you know, many of us have pets. And, you know, previously, a pet barking in the background during a conference call was was kind of something that made you cringe. Now, when my dog barks, I mean, it's really heartwarming to say, to see others say, oh, how cute. You know, I'm warning you guys that might happen. And, and your response has got to be how cute. Okay. So uh, it's a different world. Yeah. You know, um, I think as as leaders also, I've learned that I'm having to lead in this area and I'm having to bring true clarity and structure to my team. And so we went as far as about a month ago doing a couple of things that were structural to help folks deal with these offset schedules and sort of the new realities. One thing is we discovered that we needed to create roles and job descriptions that were more blended. So for example, We used to have team members who were, for example, software developers, and their job was to write software code in isolation 10 hours a day, and then had another role that was, for example, a help desk or support. And their job was to be on the phone and online uh, helping employees who had issues for another 10 hours. And neither of those roles is conducive to that blended work and, uh, and home environment that most of us are experiencing. And so what we did is we redefined roles in IT so that folks would have some time during their day that required focused alone thinking and some time during their day that would require working a ticketing queue and interacting with others. The second thing we did is we truly created offset schedules. So people are allowed to declare okay, for this four-hour period, let's say from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., I am doing this customer support role, and then I get my kids started for school, and in the afternoon, I can focus and, and I can do the software development work that I need to do. And so we created formal structures of roles and blended responsibilities and formal structures of schedules and work hours And by instituting that, it became okay for my team members to declare, ah, I fit in that category. I'd like that work slot. I'd like that part of the responsibilities to be part of my role. And just 
giving folks some flexibility, but then building in the structure really changed our productivity as a team and the satisfaction level of our employees as well. So we are now measurably more productive and with higher employee satisfaction than the past just because we're allowing this flexibility. And like Tony was saying, it's kind of making us realize, oh boy, we probably should have been thinking this way about our roles and our structure already. This has given us an opportunity to to kind of create a big do-over and fine-tune things more appropriately for how people work and how productive people are. Yeah. It's amazing how it's a total mind shift for all ends of the employee mindset from someone who is a junior level employee all the way to an executive, like this newfound concept of flexibility instead of working these set eight hours and being in an office butts and seats versus being at home, making sure you get your work done at some point throughout the day. It's, it's really interesting to see how that shift is happening everywhere. Wendy, how do you measure that? How frequently are you measuring things like that? How are you trying to figure out how your employees are productive and satisfied? Yeah, well, we are geekily endlessly fascinated with this, right? So, um, you know, this is kind of a sport for some of us at Nutanix for sure. But what we started by doing is trying to find baselines that we already had in place that we thought were useful productivity measures. And then understanding against those baselines, what changed when we began to work remotely and how have things changed over time. And so as an example, we develop software at Nutanix And for some time, we've been measuring the number of software check-ins. So when someone finishes writing code and they QA that code, and then they check that code into a repository once it's passed the QA tests, that's something we measure. And, And we know, you know, sort of the rate of that per software developer and sort of our rate overall. And so that seemed like a very reasonable measure of productivity. Do we have the same number of check-ins as we did before, the same rate of check-ins? As an example, also, when people are doing these check-ins and when they're writing code, they're doing so over secure infrastructure. They're doing so over either our frame VDI or over a, a VPN. And so, you know, we can tell when an engineer is online and writing code and communicating with us over those mechanisms. And so we had this baseline. When we immediately pivoted to remote work, we noticed a drop in code check-ins and VPN sessions and so on in the first week or two after folks pivoted. But since then, we've noticed increasing productivity. And so we are now into the double digits more productive by these same measures than we were pre-pandemic. And there's lots of, I mean, again, endlessly fascinating, right? We can dig into the data. Is it because folks are working longer hours? Is it because we changed up the jobs? Is it because people aren't having to commute or there's you know, less time wasted at the water cooler? The challenge with measuring is, is that then it leads to thousands of other questions and we're granularly interested in those. But writ large, ultimately we're seeing that this new way of working, especially in mixed mode and especially allowing the flexibility for our humanity, this seems to be resulting in more productive workers overall. 
I think this unforced <laughs> human experiment or office experiment is going to bring tremendous learning to the world and to managers on how to manage by objectives rather than managing by tasks. So while I was at Procter & Gamble, we did annual employee satisfaction surveys and we kind of played around with different policies for work from home and remote working probably for about 10, 15 years now. And there was always a debate, you know, because I, I think it is a fine balance. There are some activities that do need collaboration and, and others that need, you know, more alone time. And like we said, three different buckets, right? And so I think the temptation in many of those early work from home experiments, including the ones where organizations actually went back, famously Yahoo and even IBM and, you know, several of the other companies who went back on work from home policies were that, you know, people were looking for simplistic answers on, is this good or is this bad, right? And what I've learned over the PNG career, and now that's become really enforced by or reinforced by this prolonged humanity experiment, is that um, you really have to design both as a manager and HR professional, as well as a technologist for people operating in three different modes, right? The three different buckets that I was talking about, right? And once you do that and you manage people by objectives rather than tracking the day-to-day -day deliverables, you actually find that people actually are happier and they do more when they are free as opposed to when they're asked why that specific task wasn't completed on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, I actually, I'm very positive about this direction. I think that leaders are all going to come out of this with a better understanding of what makes employees more productive and more happy. Besides actual team structuring and everything, is there any IT or digital infrastructure, anything that you've tailored to help keep employees be productive and keep them engaged outside of just saying, oh, you don't have to stay around this particular nine to five or tracking those day to day tasks? I have a couple of anecdotes from, again, client companies that are actually fascinating. In one case, and this is evolving, right, on a weekly daily basis. In one case, the company is actually starting to create equivalent Friday happy hours or, or social time for employees, right? Recognizing that it's also important for people to kind of see themselves in a social context, right? As humans, I mean, I, of course, we all get burnt out by any one mode of operation, whether that is too much socialization or too little socialization and everything in between, right? I don't get burned out by too much socialization. I'm just letting you know. Awesome. <laughs> You're a rare IT person. <laughs> you certainly are. You certainly are. It's actually an interesting experiment, but it's, it's actually been very, very good for them. And some of their metrics are showing that their employee satisfaction has actually gone up beyond what they used to have when, you know, even during their peak period, right? So it's fascinating to see capability is being created for that. In another case, what the company is basically doing is that they are redesigning their entire facility. They're taking the opportunity to redesign their office into these different modes of operation. So, you know, previously office designs used to have you know, cubicles and offices and meeting rooms, right? As opposed to that, now on a floor, what you actually find are collaboration zones, right? With seating, which is, you know, much more lounge-like kind of stuff, right? With uh, whiteboards and, you know, cool TV sets and all that kind of stuff. And then you have, of course, quiet zones. And then you have meeting zones, right? And so I think, you know, that's part of how everybody's evolving as they learn from this experiment. Well, I, I love this topic so much. And, and I love that you're talking about physical space, Tony, because... 
I think that revolution is also happening in our homes. And so I'm, I'm a huge gamer. I love consumer tech. I love video games. And a couple of things um, that we are doing at Nutanix that interlock with that. The first is that for some time in the video game space, home setups have been a big deal. There are um, very popular, you know, tens of millions of subscribers shows on YouTube where people show off their home computer setup. They show their display and, and their, you know, RGB lighting and they trick out computers. And I kind of love that world. And really what's happened is we've taken this corporate IT world and we've brought those um, sort of sad, sorry environments into our home environments. And many of these home environments have these super cool setups for gaming and entertainment and life. And so how does the IT technology hold up in those environments? And one day at Nutanix, someone posted on one of our Slack channels, hey, you know, since I'm working from home anyhow, I just kind of merged my gaming setup and my work setup and check out my new setup. And we started our own home setup, home automation channel with literally, you know, hundreds if not thousands of entries and it sort of became competitive. Ultimately, that's what we're dealing with now. We're dealing with this blending of consumer tech and all the richness of interaction design and experience that have been in the consumer space. One thing that happened at Nutanix, a couple of years ago, we acquired a company called Frame. And I, I have to say that I, I wasn't thinking about Frame in the context of Nutanix when we acquired the company, but I used to use Frame as a consumer. It's a VDI technology. It's a special kind of VDI technology that sort of doesn't require that backend setup in your data center, but it just works over public internet. And it just works for very performant vector graphics. And so I used Frame when I wanted to play multiplayer games that were very graphics intensive or CPU intensive before Nutanix acquired Frame. Now, today, we are using Frame to deliver our IT applications to our employees' desktops wherever they are. And we can do that securely. We can do that performantly. And so if you can imagine, you know, being there on your you know, kid's gaming computer and using Frame for that VDI access to the corporate environment, it's a, you know, I don't want to say it's a fun experience, but it certainly is performant. It, it certainly doesn't suck. And so we're trying to be open to that. We're trying to sort of enjoy this moment of the challenge, you know, the, the gauntlet's been thrown down to IT. How can we make enterprise applications, the enterprise experience, stand up uh, to the consumer experience that we're surrounded with in our own homes and still do that securely over public internet with all the other challenges? That is so cool. And we should play Fortnite sometime together. I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> we need a spinoff of this that's like Wendy and Cassidy do IT cribs uh, or like yes. develop, developer cribs where you just go around to the like to the best people's houses and like, oh, and just go through all of their stuff. Check out this battle station. <laughs> 
Seriously. Well, if you guys, there's a guy named Random Frank P, Random Frank P, and he does a, a setup show that has literally, I think it's uh, 300, it's, it's like some some gigantic amount. No, it's, not, it's like 3 million subscribers. It's as geeky as they come. And I literally want to model an IT show off of this thing. I think it's amazing. Sorry to get distracted, but it, it, it matters, right? We're in that environment now. That's where we're doing our work. And so rather than being afraid of that distraction, we should take the challenge in enterprise applications and enterprise IT, and we should help our employees to thrive in those environments, I think. I agree. Well, and it, and it's both fun and it helps you be productive. We, we also have one of those, we build workspaces channels on our Slack team over at Netlify. And it is so nice to be able to be just like, oh, well, this is this new computer I have set up so that way I can hook it up to my work computer and have an even faster environment. And then people can give recommendations. It's a great way to just have a little bit more fun with the environment that you're kind of stuck in for a little while. I think so. And, you know, what do they say? You know, a happy employee. Uh, No, wait, that's happy wife. Anyway, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) close enough. Okay, let's get into our confidential questions. We're going to dig a little bit under the surface here and share some secrets. Damn it. This is not my my real hair color, okay? <laughs> I thought you were redheaded. I won't tell anyone. Sorry. Go Wendy, we'll start with you. Okay. Most uncuttable budget item? Machine learning and automation tooling. Tony, what about you? I would actually have to agree. <laughs> um, Wendy and I have different colors, but we have similar tastes and budgets. Okay, let's do a little build or buy. Wendy, story of the coolest thing that you built in-house or the thing that you bought and had the implementation go swimmingly. We built a natural language processing instrumented help desk that today is handling about 40% of our tickets across the board in IT. And folks outside of IT liked it so much that it's now in use by HR facilities, legal sales operations, et cetera. And folks just call it XBOT or the bot. Behind the scenes, there was a bit of a heavy lift with a blend of our own uh, skills and some third-party vendor technologies. But the coolest thing about it is not the autonomous completion of tasks. The coolest thing about it is the natural language processing, which is uh, purpose-built for Nutanix and the way that we talk and interact. Cool. Tony, what about you? Anything from uh, P&G days or any companies that you're working with now? There's a few stories. I think on some of the most cool builds that we did, my last uh, few years at Procter & Gamble, I ran a Google X-like organization, you guys are familiar with Google X, the driverless cars, balloon internet, you know, disruptive innovation kind of organization. So while I was PNG, I created an industry 10x disruptive innovation organization bringing together, of course, PNG as a playing ground, but, you know, the top 10 venture capitalist resources in the world and recent sequoias, not so much for the money, but for the connections with the startups. And then, of course, the top five services companies in the world. So IBM, HP, Tata, so on and so forth. And we only focused on internal business operations type of disruptions, right? So this is boring stuff like, you know, how would you do accounts receivables 10 times better? Or how would you do travel and expenses better? Or supply chain planning or, you know, IT support and management or help desk or 
you know, so on and so forth. And each one of those was at least a $50 million idea or we were not interested. But the one that I want to talk about comes from that relatively boring area of accounts receivables. Now, if Ian, you're a customer of mine and I'm selling you 10 widgets, you basically expect to be paid, right? So you would pay me at some point in time. And then typically in large CPG companies, you know, a lot falls in between in that transaction. So, you know, for example, if I sent you 10 trucks and one truck never arrived or three boxes fell off that truck or something happened in the bank payments or my sales guy offered you a discount and and didn't register that in the books, I mean, that would end up being a claim or a dispute. And that dispute in most consumer packaged companies, you know, needs literally hundreds of people globally to basically go through every case and determine is this valid or not, right? So one of the things that we built was essentially an AI tool about five years ago that was able to make that determination with more accuracy than our best humans on whether an incoming claim was valid or not. And not only that, it also had the ability then to help kind of uh, solve and close those disputes so that we could actually free up cash uh, dramatically faster. And so, you know, in most large companies that quite literally have over a period of a year, maybe a billion or two dollars kind of go through those dispute processes. That was not just a very, very cool solution, but, you know, also one that was incredibly impactful to the business. Wendy, how about a project or piece of infrastructure or something that you're working on right now that you are really excited about? Well, right now, today, in fact, Nutanix has just released something that I'm genuinely excited about. I I know that I work for Nutanix, but still, it's freaking awesome. So we have developed something called Nutanix Clusters. And essentially what this lets an IT department do is it lets you build out system clusters in AWS the exact same way that you do on-premise so that you could build out a cluster that spans an on-premise and AWS environment and share resources, application services among those things. So it's actually hybrid in the true sense of the word. This is so powerful for application mobility. And we have just, in in my team, we've had an early access version of this and just been putting it through its paces. And what this has allowed us to do is to move applications and move data and move services from one cloud, one mode, one location to another from our Phoenix data center to our Reno data center to AWS. And so during these times of difficulty having people on site, difficulty getting shipments and hardware from sources around the world, challenges with remote work and workloads and people being in locations that we hadn't planned for when we built our hubs. This has allowed us to be flexible in terms of how and where we run our applications. I haven't seen anything else like it. And I'm using this at some scale now. And it's it's kind of delightful, right? It just works, which is, of course, what you want these things to do. But, you know, it just works. And uh, so I'm finding this to be kind of revolutionary because I'm not stuck on a single vendor island or in a single cloud now. I'm able to be flexible with how and where we're working and how and where we're running our applications. It's just... A game changer for me. We talked a lot today about best practices and anecdotes and different things that people are doing great. 
what are some of the things with either remote work or digital transformation that people are doing wrong, that you've been doing wrong, that you've done wrong, or, or just things that are flat out experiments that you learned a lot, but maybe didn't go as planned? Wendy, we'll start with you. I think that the way that I communicate has needed to be refined with everyone remote. My sense of humor doesn't always translate. My clear descriptions aren't always received clearly. And the notion that we can have a single meeting across time zones, that doesn't really play well. And so and so, how do we communicate well across multiple meetings and make sure that we're understanding one another? So just my own skills at communication have been severely tested. And ultimately, I find that I have to apologize a lot more than, than I used to. Maybe I always should have been apologizing a bit for uh, my miscommunication. I don't know. But uh, I'm having to go back and say, oh, I didn't mean it the way that it was understood. And, and I think just I've had to be a lot more humble and a lot more aware of my words. That's great. Wow. Great advice. So true. I, I feel the same way. I mean, I think we all, all do. It's just, it is way more difficult to communicate without seeing people, without understanding, reading the room when there is no room and it's just a few lines of text. Tony, what about you? Any things that you're seeing that are, uh, are are maybe not the best practices that are opportunities to learn? Oh, man, what a great question, Ian. Ties really, really nicely <laughs> to why digital transformations fail. My favorite topic, of course. And the reason I think this is such a rich topic is because we're in the midst of this fourth industrial revolution, right, where digital is changing everything. We just talked about one little example of how, you know, this particular pandemic has had digital transformation get accelerated. As, as Satya Nadella of Microsoft said, we've had two years worth of digital transformation happen in two months. So yes, a lot of that is happening. But the statistic that always blows my mind is that this is a $2 trillion industry, digital transformation, and that 70% of our digital transformations fail, which is the topic of my book, and a lot of examples on how they fail and why they fail. And I have to be extremely clear. You know, I think I've had more than my fair share of failures in there. I just thought I'd touch upon a couple of examples and a couple of insights. Let me start with the examples. In the book, I talk about GE's famous attempt of reinventing itself as a digital company under Jeff Emel. And I give Jeff Emel incredible credit for being among the first in the world to kind of be bold enough to go create a digital strategy and therefore having generated a lot of learnings. But I think the one thing that that entire exercise taught us, insight number one, is that digital transformation is about rewiring an entire enterprise. So not just creating a technology platform, which is what they set out to do, but also changing the DNA of every part of the organization. And for that, you have to have a mandate. You have to have your digital CDO, chief digital officer, or whatever, be completely empowered to drive change and not just be a supplier. And everybody gets a vote on what the supplier does. And then the other example, which I learned, a positive one, which I learned tremendously from, was in 2005 when Procter & Gamble acquired the Gillette company. Gillette used to be a $10 billion organization when we acquired them. I was the interim CIO sent over there to essentially integrate all of Gillette systems. And we had created a goal of over a billion dollars of synergies. And you know we had said we will absorb all of their systems and their entire organization. 
and we'll keep our existing costs and headcount flat. And we actually ended up having that be an incredible success, getting all of that done in about 18 to 24 months. But the big insight there was about how you have to essentially bring the entire organization around and create that sense of urgency if you're going to go after such a big change, right? And in that case, I have to admit, we were a little lucky because whenever you have an acquisition or divestiture, just like you have a pandemic, there is a sense of urgency. But on the other hand, we also know that 90% of acquisition synergies never get delivered, right? And so you have to, as a leader, kind of focus not just on, can I connect my SAP box to my you know, Oracle box? But you have to also create that sense of urgency on No, there is a bigger goal that we hear about. And how do you essentially get the entire army moving in that direction? So those are some of the examples that I thought might be relevant to this topic. Well, we are slowly starting to run out of time, or I should say we are quickly starting to run out of time. And so I wanted to end this on a bit of a fun note. And so to both of you, what TV show or podcast are you watching or listening to right now that's kind of fun and not techie? Oh, Indian Matchmaker. Although so good. I'm just oh. crushed. I've watched till the end and I'm just crushed that there's no more. <laughs> oh, I'm addicted. I'm 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 actually going back to comfort TV again. So back to parks and recreation. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a really nice one when you don't know what else to watch to just rewatch that one again and again. Yes. You know, like I said, it's comfort food. I mean it, it's fun, it's nice, it's it's safe. Watch it with the whole family, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. And I also feel like as the pandemic has rolled on, I'm becoming more and more like Ron Swanson. <laughs> Staying indoors. <laughs> also, I have to admit, I did tape a lot of the um, Hallmark Channel Christmas in July movies. I banked them so I can watch them from time to time between now and Christmas. So <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, well, on that note, thank you both so much for coming today. I, I love hearing all of these different stories from both of you and, and seeing how we are kind of moving towards a more remote and flexible world and how workers are liking it and how it's really making a difference in productivity and everything. Oh, my pleasure. It was great to be on the show and very nice to be with you on the show, Wendy. Yes, it was. I enjoyed meeting you. I'm going to learn more about you now that I know you exist. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. This episode of CIO Classified is brought to you by Slack. As the leading channel-based messaging platform, Slack is transforming business communication. It's where people can work together effectively, connect all their other software tools, and find the information they need to do their best work. Learn more at slack.com.